Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Steph and welcome to the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to psychotherapist Emma Reed Terrell, who is the author of Please Yourself. Now, this is a book that I've been reading and I think it could be life-changing. Um, and it's infiltrating most of my conversations with my husband at the moment. So it is a guide on how to stop people pleasing and transform the way you live. Um, it's out in paperback on the 9th of December and it will be in Don't Buy Her Flowers packages. Hello, Emma. Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, there's so much I want to get into. <laughs> so just to, to kick us off, this podcast, it's about the rush hour that um, is kind of a stage of life that I feel like I'm living in. I think you're probably similar, sort of juggling family and work and children and responsibilities and shifts with your parents possibly we haven't completely given up on how we hope to look sometimes I am in jogging bottoms today but you know um and also kind of trying to be a good person I suppose maybe I've turned 40 or in your 30s maybe having that more awareness of things that are going on in the world and that you should have an opinion especially because of social media and all those things and it can leave me feeling a little bit unhinged Emma does it leave you feeling a bit unhinged? Well, I mean, ever so slightly. I turned 40 last year and, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. So I kind of feel like the universe owes me that year back. So I'm still considering myself 40 at the moment. But I think definitely it got to that point where we do, and you know, it's a generalization, but in our 40s, we start to hit that space where many of us are sandwich caring and we're we're there for our parents, we're there for our kids. We still want to be there with our friends. We kind of want to have a relationship that, we can show up in and 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 be ourselves in and I think we spread ourselves really really thinly and then we end up at that point like you said that word unhinged of kind of going hmm I'm not sure how sustainable this is and then and not quite knowing what to do about it and I think that's where the book comes in because there's there's we'll come on to kind of the different types of people pleasing but one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you particularly at the moment it's December and Christmas is coming and I don't think there are many points in the year that are more stressful in terms of kind of the volume of stuff that it feels like you've got to do while feeling like it's the most wonderful time. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think Christmas is catnip to people pleasers, but equally it's a kind of a, it's a space where it's just one big setup really, isn't it? Because there's a whole retail sector that's, that's set on kind of making this the most magical time of the year with, you know, endless budgets and bottomless cheer and goodwill to all people and sometimes I think we forget that extends to ourselves what's Christmas look like for you how do you feel about Christmas do you know I feel about Christmas I feel super super realistic (laughs) and that is I know just such a boring answer but it's it's true it's a, a place that I've got to about Christmas which is realistic is 
is where I want to be about Christmas. I actually love Christmas, but for me, Christmas is not, you know, that three day or even two week period. It's I start it as early as I can so that I can actually get in as much of my kind of festivities as I want well, to. I happen to know that you love Die Hard, particularly to watch Die Hard while drinking champagne. So when does that kick off? When does that start? I mean, I've done it twice already. I haven't, but <laughs> I would if I could. No, it's funny, actually, because they um, it's that thing where originally when my husband and I got married, we set up all of these kind of really ambitious Christmas traditions that obviously kind of got absolutely ram raided by children and and you know other in-laws and families and so now I've ended up as soon as it turns December I just have a tick list of about 20 things that I love about Christmas and I just start so you're probably going to find me on the 1st of December with my feet up having a glass of champagne watching Bruce Willis when I was a kid it was the Radio Times obviously yeah circling with my sister with your highlighter all of the things you were going to watch and then I think probably well, I had my first kid at 29 and I don't think from that point on I watched any of the Christmas stuff I wanted to watch. And that did used to be Christmas, like, because you're too busy making and looking after and sometimes it's like social things, but even that is like, I, I really like the whole sitting on the sofa thing. Yeah, totally. Taking shortcuts. I'm all about shortcuts. I used to be a bit like you in that way that kind of I had my son when I was 30. And I think the first Christmas I had with him as a baby was going to be it. That was it. That was the perfect Christmas. We'd waited for him for quite a while. It was going to be this kind of magical moment. I bought all the good food magazines at Christmas and I set myself this kind of ridiculous challenge of baking, you know, sausage, meat and sage pinwheels whilst breastfeeding. And like, it became absurd, but luckily that didn't last because I quickly realised that you could buy that stuff and uh, never look back. Like I've got five siblings, so it's pure chaos. And I can remember coming home and saying, oh, my um, my friend's mum is having a purple and silver themed tree this year. And my mum being like, what? <laughs> she, she used to literally get to the point. We had ping pong balls that were my brother, who's 12 years older than me. So they were already quite old by the time I was in my teens. They were like just ping pong balls sprayed gold, no hook on them or anything because they were all broken. And she would get to the end of the box and just tip it over like the top of the tree and see what landed. Like there, And I'd be slightly embarrassed. And now that is what my tree looks like. Yes. And you can kind of pass it off as like charming. We're going to look at some, um, I've got some listener sort of dilemmas. So we're going to go through those because I think there's lots and lots of people who want to enjoy Christmas, but haven't quite got it right yet. Um, So see if we can help there. But just on people pleasing, just to get an overview of it, because I think my, before reading your book, I think I probably thought it was about being kind and nice. And then you read it and realise that actually, no, it's not at all that. And it's quite manipulative, which is fascinating. So can you just give us an overview of, of people pleasing? Absolutely. I think I thought the same. I thought people pleasing was just about being a really decent person and putting other people first. And, you know, all of those messages you get growing up about kind of how to care for other people and, you know, just wait to be offered, don't ask and things like that, that meant that I kind of surrounded myself with this idea that the nicer and the kinder you are the better a person you are I mean that's the most terrible English but there you go it's that kind of I'll be a better person if I'm generous and and selfless and I think 
what I came to understand, and it really wasn't until I started looking at it more from a kind of professional perspective, was the fact that actually we're really not doing it to be kind and nice. We're doing it to try to organize the reactions that we get from other people. And that's the bit that can feel manipulative. That's the key line that is the, I think it's in your book, it says it's anxiety in action. It's the fear of something you can't control. Yeah. And if I can control your reaction to me, because I know which buttons to press to make you happy or pleased with me, or I know what to avoid, I know what the kind of the no-go areas are, then I can kind of tread this eggshell path through my life and keep people on site. And the bottom line is, it's because maybe I haven't learned yet that I can also live with people not being on my side, that I can be on my own side, and that can be good enough. In fact, that it can actually help draw the right people to us. Because the nature of people pleasers is we tend to attract people who want to be pleased. Which means you're always going to be bottom. Oh, yeah. So you've got four four types of, you've identified four types of people pleaser. So can we go through those? Because again, I'm I'm not only looking at it from which one am I, but also identi- putting all my friends. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I know, right? Because this is the thing. I think we all, we all, I say we all, it's a generalization. We grew up thinking that people pleasing were the ones who, what I call the classics. They're the ones who, they want everything to be perfect. You know, they are the ones that got that good food Christmas magazine and planned the Christmas table and it was straight off the cover of the magazine and the name plates and the serviettes and the cutlery and the crockery and the 10 course menu it was going to be perfect they're the ones who just want to get it right to be to be what other people want and to make it as perfect as they can they're the classics as far as I understand them but then I found these other three types in the work that I was doing with my clients I found the shadows and typically the shadows are the ones who grew up around somebody who already occupied the limelight. So they became the ones that were kind of trying to support someone else's goals. So they might be great present givers, but they might find it really hard to receive. Then I had the pacifiers and the pacifiers have caught so much um, so much interest and attention since the book came out because so many of us have realized maybe we're not so much about trying to please, but we really don't want to displease. We don't want anyone to be upset with us. We don't want to disappoint anybody. We don't want to let anyone down. We overpromise, we underdeliver, and we end up in this situation where we're trying to be the social glue. Or the way I describe it in the book is to try and be the kind of the Goldilocks of the people pleasers. So we're neither too much of this, we're not too much of that. We just tread this kind of like benign middle line that means we're not offending anybody, but really none of our wants are there. And then we've got the resistors, and the resistors are they're the outliers in the book because these are the people who wouldn't identify as people pleasers at all. They would say, actually, I don't care what people think. But the not caring what people think is this kind of blanket opt out because these are the people who still feel the pressures to please. They just, for some reason, can't or won't do what it takes to please them. So it's like self-preservation or something. Exactly, exactly. And I think we do more than one and sometimes we'll change, we'll switch up depending on the situation we're in. And I think sometimes we go from one to another as we kind of grow older. So certainly I experienced myself go from a kind of pacifying place to much more a resistor and have to come back out the other side and work out actually how to give, well, as I put it in the book, not to give no fucks at all and not to give too many fucks, but to give an appropriate and moderate fuck distribution. <laughs> it's about the fuck distribution. But this is what I was going to ask because you get people who be like, well, I don't care what anyone thinks. And it's kind of that. And that's not what we're saying that everyone should do. And I think, I don't know if you can explain that more because I think it's not screw everyone, but it's more about not neglecting yourself. 
Yeah. And it's about honesty, you know, so it's this bit where I think, yes, you could say, I don't care what you think. And so often I think people pleasing has been given this really flippant treatment of just try not to care what other people think or, you know, take your mind off it, distract yourself, have a bit more me time, run a bubble bath, you know, this idea that actually that's going to be enough to resolve what I at least understand to be quite a, a deeply conditioned and psychological pattern, which is I have to not care at all in order to not care too much. So not caring at all is no more helpful than making everyone else a priority. You need to be accountable and appropriate in the amount you care. So I won't just sit with my feet up watching Die Hard, drinking champagne, but I will do that as well as other things that are important to other people. That's for me, that idea of giving the right amount of fucks. That's so interesting because I think my husband and I are very different in that. And he will say exactly that. He's like, why? It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry about them. They're fine. You know, and I'm going, oh, God, the guilt and all the other things, which, again, we'll come on to because you've got some really interesting stuff on guilt in there, which I think is a mass comes with people pleasing. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. You talk about conditioning. And I think this is where I started to become really interested because and it's quite it's quite confronting because if you love your family and you love your childhood and that kind of thing and you have to go well there were elements of however I was brought up for all of it for every single person I guess however you were brought up that impacts your behavior and how you become an adult and what kind of adult you are and so it's quite challenging to look at that and not feel really defensive um but also I was what do you watch this is us I do watch this is us Yes. So there's a bit where Kevin says, my parents were the most connected couple ever, but they missed a lot. They still missed a lot. And I thought that was really interesting because it doesn't necessarily follow that your parents are terrible people, but there's just lots going on. Or He's, he's right, isn't he, when he says that? Because what Kevin's identifying is that great parents will give you what they have to give. And they won't give you what they don't know you need. And they won't give you what they don't know is available if they didn't have it for themselves and still they are humans who are going to make mistakes and going to learn on the job and in a different generation right we are all doing it we're trying to parent people who are growing up in a world that we didn't live in no we didn't and I think missing things is actually really important it's really important that parents both miss things because that's humanity and normality but also that they own that and they share that I think one of the biggest things that occurred to me as a parent probably not until my son was about three years old was that actually he needs to he needs to see me make mistakes he needs to see me develop and practice and screw up and not at his cost of course but he actually needs to see me burn the pizza to understand that people burn pizzas and that includes him And there's something about being able to give ourselves permission by looking at our parents and the mistakes they made, if indeed we'd call them mistakes, to just recognize that actually we can do two things. We can offer permission to our own kids, but we can also go back and if there is something that our parents missed, we can give it to ourselves. So so when it comes to people pleasing, what kind of behaviors, I guess, might result or what is it that might result in someone becoming a people pleaser? Is it because they felt that that's how they had to be as a child? Could be. I mean, I think one of the things I definitely see is people who said, well, my mum takes care of everyone or she did everything for me. She was always kind of part of other people's lives and helping wherever she could. And, you know, in shorthand, she really modeled to me, here's how to people please. 
And of course, so often as kids, we follow those models of our parents, even when they tell us not to, you know, we do as they do, not as they say. So they could be that there was a people pleaser in your own family, or it could be that there was actually conflict in your family. You know, for, for people who had conflict in their family of origin, it might have felt really important for them to be the peacekeeper or the mediator or the one who came in and just poured oil on troubled waters and made the family laugh. So they become that pacifier. Or perhaps actually one of the siblings already had the role of doing whatever they wanted. And so the next role, the next sibling became the one who was like, okay, well, I'll just fit in. Part of it's about recognizing that origin story. You know, what did I learn about people pleasing growing up? Maybe if we were to gender it for a moment, what did I learn about being a girl? Or what did I learn about being a boy? And also, what did I learn about my right to have feelings and needs? You know, was it that actually everything was decided for me or was I invited in to kind of have my own opinions? And a lot of this stuff will show you your beginnings as a people pleaser. But then of course we'll start to get praised for it. You know, you're so good at helping other people or, oh, you really, you're such a grown up little girl. And when you start to hear those things, of course, praise becomes that little reward loop that means we do it more and more. And we get really bloody good at it to the point where we're walking to an office and our boss is saying, I knew I could rely on you. And you think, oh fuck, how did I end up here? I'm still doing it because I've ended up kind of doing what I'm good at and what I'm good at is people pleasing. It's so interesting because also it makes me think of my kids. So I've got a um, a, a four-year-old and a a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. And as they become that kind of nine and 11, these personality things you can really see. And I know my middle one, Mabel, is is she wants to please and then I think oh god what have I done that's made her wonderfully it's so it's really difficult isn't it it's really really difficult if you want to make sure that your children do have boundaries I know this is a big ask Emma because it's like but if but but trying to think about you don't want them to be that people pleaser who is really vulnerable and it was because actually in your book you do say there's a line I wrote it down somewhere but there was a line about um if you're if you create someone who is the optimal uh, people pleaser and they get taken advantage of, they won't have any defense mechanism to protect themselves, which actually becomes quite serious because then you're talking, you know, further down the line when they're older. What kind of things can parents do, I guess? Do you know, I think the biggest thing, and this is not an easy thing, and I struggle with it every day, is to to disappoint your kids. Not a problem. And I it sounds like definitely. <laughs> okay, yeah. nail that, yeah. tick. What next? Yeah. <laughs> because it is something about to disappoint your kids and not feel bad about it maybe I need to kind of put the full sentence in or to disappoint your kids and know what your reasons are for doing that and why and to leave them with the disappointment actually of this here here's how it feels to be disappointed and that is not to say that we aren't still being you know our our best good enough parent and and doing what we think is right and being really engaged and really attuned. But it's also that we don't overplease our kids. We don't teach them that that's the only way to be in life, you know, and it is that hard one when you know that they desperately want to do something and you have to say, yeah, no, not this time. But it's That's really interesting when you think of how much we we do seem to want to, you know, we entertain them a lot more. We play with them a lot more. I mean, my parents never, I don't remember my parents being on their knees playing with Sylvanian families with me. I don't remember, like summer holidays were mostly, we would go and see family, but we would mostly be at home kicking each yeah. other and Chinese yeah. burns. Like we didn't, yeah. we didn't, you know. Good wholesome stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, all the wholesome <laughs> stuff. But there wasn't lots and lots of pleasing 
which I feel like are, yeah, so we could be creating a whole heap of pain (laughs) when these kids are older. 100%, because, you know, if we fetishize our kids, the rest of the world's not going to do that. And the rest of the world's going to be a far less compassionate instructor. So actually, if I can kind of show my kids in the love and the security that I offer and that I show up with every single day, if I can show them that actually it also sucks to be you sometimes, and they can talk to me about that and they can be annoyed with me about that, we can dialogue that and still they're going to have come away from that with experience of, oh, so I can be disappointed and I can survive. And, you know, if we just rewind back to our conversation about Christmas, so many of of us that struggle with letting people down at Christmas haven't yet learned that we and others can be disappointed and still survive, still have relationship. And there's something really important here about not, not avoiding rupture with your kids, because actually the model that our kids need, just as we did, was that rupture is inevitable, repair is possible. But if we always seek to avoid rupture, they're never going to learn the repair part. They're never going to know that they've got that in their arsenal, that they can pull that out and and say sorry when it's appropriate or make a change when it's needed. But genuinely, that's reassuring because mine do get disappointed. And also we're trying to live in a lot of us in a world where potentially both parents work or you're a single parent. So you don't have the time and energy to give what what a traditional of traditional mum role models did probably for our generation and it does leave you thinking oh god I'm not doing enough I'm not doing enough I'm always you know I'm being a terrible mum or a terrible um, employee or boss or it's all of it isn't it because you can't do it all but actually it's fine and they can be disappointed and they're going to be okay so good and on friendships which is another topic that you cover one of the things I thought was really interesting is again this idea that a people pleaser might actually be not necessarily intentional but quite manipulative in that what you're you're pleasing for a sense of what comes back in return and if that person there's something you said about if that person doesn't fulfill their end of the bargain which they might not know that they're meant to be fulfilling by being extremely grateful or returning the favor or anything it leaves you feeling resentful and this was definitely one that I thought I know and it might be me but I know people definitely who who feel that and you kind of want to say to them well stop doing so much for other people which I know isn't the easy answer well it isn't is it and yet until we start doing that we don't get any evidence that we can do it a different way so somehow at the bottom line of all of this is we're probably not going to know we can do it differently until we have a crack at it but I think the friendships one is really interesting because again it it really whipped up a storm when I published the book about people who said I know that friend I know that friend I have felt on the receiving end of that kind of kick when I haven't either been suitably pleased by them or I haven't kind of somehow returned this end of the bargain that I didn't know I'd signed up for and this idea that actually you can't judge people you can't judge your friends by the friend you wish they were and if you have a particular vacancy for a friend you need to be clear about that and and recruit it openly as opposed to expect somebody to just tick all those boxes of the friend that you need. I've had that certainly in my personal life where I, as a friend, I don't reply to WhatsApps instantly and I don't meet up for coffee every week. I have boundaries and different ways of enjoying relating with people and my closest friends accept that about me and there are other people whose friendships we've had to kind of evolve or end because that wasn't what they were looking for which is also cool but it doesn't mean that I'm letting them down you know I didn't actually apply for that job 
Well, and it's a complicated one, I think, especially if you um, in your 30s and you've maybe had children and you're you're quite vulnerable and trying to make friends with people and you're not necessarily feeling yourself. So you might give a different impression of to who you are. You know, people, you might make friends with people. I'm thinking in particular about NCT groups and that sort of thing. You're thrown together, but the only connection is really that you all had a baby at the same time. And I know some get on really well and go on holidays together and stuff like that. But for others, I don't know, it's your only, that's your only connection. And you don't know anything about each other. Only history. It's a really weird. And and I remember feeling quite vulnerable, wanting to be able to say, I'm finding this really hard. But then someone else would say, oh, this is, I'm fine. Um, me and my husband get on so well. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We go on date nights. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, oh, dear God. But you're right. You know, this is a kind of a group. If you take the NCT group where, yes, you have this one thing in common, maybe Maybe you would call that you all had a baby, but I suppose really you just all had sex roughly at the same time. That's actually what you have in common, which is not a lot <laughs> to build a kind of a, a whole family system on. And I think the problem with becoming a mum, from my own, speaking from my own perspective, is that I started trying to have friendships on behalf of my baby. Mm. You know, the baby who was weeks old and Did in a nothing. car seat. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And there I was like, well, I don't want him to be kind of left out of jingle jangle jamboree. So I should definitely kind of have people around for coffee, except that's not who I am. You know, eventually my best friend said, you need to stop treating your son like he's like a guest and just kind of hang out together and live your normal life. And that really helped me to be authentic because I kind of wanted to do my own thing and have coffee with him and you know but that's so interesting because you fall into this well this is what you should be doing this is what you do you see them I've seen all these women in the park pushing their prams and I did and I I didn't do that I mean I've written about pulling up the drawbridge but I didn't do that with my third baby I retreated and it was the best thing I've ever done but I could talk about that for hours but I think the other thing that you say about friendship is um if friends treat you like they don't care you should believe them and move on yeah and I thought that's I bet you there's a lot of people who could do with hearing that. But also, I suppose, if they're a people pleaser, how do they move on? How do they, without feeling awful afterwards? Yes. Do you know, that's the thing. So this is, I love this conversation because it's all kind of coming together, the threads that we're talking about. And how does someone accept, so say their friend treats them like they don't care. They read this thing in the book that says, well, you should believe them and move on. But what they didn't get from their own parent was experience of disappointment and survival. So the very point we were talking about before, about as a parent, give your kids experiences of disappointment and survival because they will get dumped. They will fail an exam. They will not be picked for something. They won't get invited to a party. These things are going to happen to them. And they need to have this kind of this foundation that says I can let go or I can lose or things can end. And I can be okay. And one of the reasons that we don't act on that, you know, when our friends treat us like they don't care, we still try and convert them or we still try and shape ourselves around the kind of person they are. I'm a good person. I'm sure they'll like me if I keep trying. Yeah. Eventually you'll like me. If I kind of, if I get it right for you, you're going to like me. Or it must be something about me if you don't. These are all the kind of the workarounds for someone who doesn't yet know or didn't get taught how to survive endings and disappointment, basically how to grieve. That's what a lot of this stuff comes down to. Because at that point, it's kind of saying, well, really, I'm actually going to let this person go. But that's going to leave me with a, with this horrible feeling of loss and grief and self-doubt. 
And actually that's the point they need someone to kind of step in and say, those are all feelings. They're going to come, they're going to go, you're going to be okay. And what comes next is going to be important. Mm. I think you also said friends should want the best for you. And I think that is the ultimate because it shouldn't. And I've, I've got um, a particular best mate who I lived with at uni and she's just had her first baby. And Doug was listening to voice notes. We were leaving each other because we haven't got time for an actual phone call. Obviously, we just do voice notes. And I'd done something really cool with work and she was just leaving this message going, oh, I'm so excited for you. And he overheard and he was like, you guys genuinely are just really happy for each other about stuff. And it was, and I was like, oh yeah, that is. And then when I read that line from you, I was like, yeah, that's what that is. There's no jealousy or envy or, and, and that could be as well, I suppose, if you want the best for someone, it could be that you don't think that what they are doing is the right thing so it, it's not just all the positive stuff but I just thought that was a really nice summary if you ever are trying to work out if yeah. a friend is actually a friend yes is this someone that wants the best for me you know I really I run by that and I choose to have quite a small circle of friends that I would kind of die for but you can only die for so many people so that number has to stay quite small and actually they are the ones who want the best for me they are also the ones that I want the best for but let's be honest we wake up on a day where we're not feeling great or something hasn't gone right and someone has this fabulous success story if I have a pang of huh I also know that's not about them that's about me so I still get to say to them that's really amazing and well done you worked so bloody hard and I think to myself that brought a feeling up for me that needs my attention and it's not about having to kind of tear strips off each other to kind of boost yourself up it's about celebrating each other's success and also noticing what you need. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So on relationships, Emma. Yes. There, this is the bit that um, I actually had the audio book on and I paused it and stormed into the kitchen and asked Doug that he forced him to listen to it but it was really interesting so you talk about um opposites attracting and this definitely is a case for Doug and I um he is very confident he definitely can please himself not in an arrogant way he just has this kind of confidence where he doesn't really worry about what other people think in a way that I do and you talk about the things that attracted you to a person could be the bits that they added to you so the bits that you were kind of missing but that when life gets busy, so with work and kids and pressures, we revert to our old ways. So there was just a bit of the book that I wanted to read because I thought for, and, and on a serious note, like this impacts your relationship. This could probably be the downfall of a number of marriages. Um, but you say, you say, we tend to fall back on our old ways. The missing piece that someone symbolized starts to look like an unwelcome intrusion when we're running our original code. What was confidence starts to look like ego. Spontaneity becomes an inability to commit. They're not easygoing anymore. They're just lazy. They're no longer funny. They're just plain rude. Their ability to please themselves threatens the rules you adopted as a child. And even though a part of you is longing to update it, the conditioning wins out. So we revert back. And I just thought that was like, poof. This is what's so interesting, isn't it? When you kind of say like, what can trigger our divorces? You know, imagine if we found that out and suddenly we felt like our relationship wasn't what we thought it was. But of course, this is the point that we typically get divorced over what is not said, not what is said. So once you know that, and once Doug knows that, that conversation in the kitchen becomes something really important about, ah, so when things are, when things are easy and calm, you love that part of each other, you know, and I can relate to that too, that there's a part of me that's really productive and has a really great work ethic and I'm really responsible and my husband's brilliantly opposite he knows how to say you've done enough take it easy this is okay let's chill and it's really important for me to get that but when I'm stressed and I start thinking no hang on a minute I need you to take the bins out yesterday because otherwise this is all going to fall apart what I need to recognize in that moment is oh it's it's me I've I've got overwhelmed and more than ever, I need to actually take some of that advice and find a space to chill or ask for help or let the world take care of itself that day. So I think when we notice that, that the thing that attracted to us is the thing we need. And when we start to notice it in the problem, in the kind of the problem in the other person, it might mean that actually we have reverted too much to that really tight scripting from our own childhoods, which is that there is only one way. So if anything, at that point, it's kind of like, ah, oh, okay. Maybe I need to take Bloody a leaf out. I mean, that is, <laughs> it's so spot on though. So I'll be, we'll be using that one going forward. Thank you. Yes, pleasure. <laughs> is, are there any tips or hacks for getting through Christmas with all the people pleasing that goes on? I mean, yes, it's the short answer. And I think that a lot of what we've talked about, obviously is going to resonate for Christmas because we know that the classics they're doing 15 different types of Brussels sprouts to make sure that everybody gets the way they want and we know that pacifiers are going to spend their day you know traipsing across the country trying to get to everybody and see everyone so this stuff is there and a lot of it's about actually recognizing as we've been saying who is it that's going to be disappointed and what can you do to tolerate those feelings of disappointment so I'm going to put that out there because that's 
that's more of a kind of a bottom line about how to stop people pleasing at Christmas. Tips and hacks, start early. Start early from both perspectives. So don't wait until the middle of December to decide what you're doing, hoping that this year people aren't going to demand of you. Get out there first. And, you know, hopefully at the point you're listening to this, there's still time for you to make some decisions about who you want to spend your time with and what you want to do. If it's too late because you've already let yourself kind of fall into other people's needs, pay yourself back in January. By which I mean, if you don't get to watch Die Hard and drink champagne on the sofa in December, January is going to roll around. The other thing about January is you're going to get to see really, really clearly what you did this December. You can even use that point to say, and this is what I'm going to do differently. So get out in front if you can. Be realistic about what these feel-good movies and the Christmas adverts, what they're actually contributing to the Christmas conspiracy, because it is a conspiracy. And last year taught us that we can all survive a different kind of Christmas. So of of people um, writing in, I had quite the, probably the majority of messages said, one was, Victoria said, I feel like licking doorknobs and getting COVID so it can be the four of us like last year. I love my friends and family, but the best thing was staying in our pajamas all day on Boxing Day. And Kerry said, I usually, um, I'm because I'm catering for everyone else, basically, I have no time to play with my kids and enjoy the day. So a bit like saying I never sit and watch all the stuff that I would usually have liked to have watched. Um, and that with COVID Christmas, it was, we just played with the kids and laughed all day and didn't have to think about a million other things. And I thought, God, that's really interesting. And, and they were all kind of saying, I don't want to be in a pandemic and I don't want that. But having that tight knit, small Christmas, it was it, it came up repeatedly that that's what people kind of would like to do, but they feel indebted to or that, they, that won't please anyone or family. Yeah. And that is the conspiracy, isn't it? Because just if we look at the data, the very fact that so many people have said that suggests that this might be more universal than it seems to us when it's on our own and we're thinking can I can I really is it okay am I allowed so if lots of people are saying what they enjoyed last year was a kind of more intimate Christmas this year is the perfect one to say you know what can I just put it out there I can't help noticing that last year it kind of worked in a way doing it all intimate Christmas anyone else guys what do you think that you can offer that as an observation and actually give people permission to go, do you know what? I know, I know I'm supposed to welcome your visit on Christmas Day, but actually it was really nice for me being able to kind of drink a pot of tea in bed and watch the news. Different people have had a similar realisation, which is that, you know, tradition defined as I read recently is peer pressure from dead people. And it's actually supposed to be something that grows and evolves with us and becomes congruent to our family. So I think part of this idea of, post-pandemic is launch some new traditions if boxing day in your pajamas was your highlight of christmas that's the first thing that gets locked in around that let's see what everyone else bids for i had another person so kate was every year we do the dance of finding out where siblings what siblings are going to be doing so they can make their plans around that the siblings don't commit so she can't make any plans but also she has responsibility for or she feels responsibility for her mother-in-law is on her own. And she wrote that her, basically Christmas Eve, they see their par- her parents. Christmas morning, her parents come for breakfast. Christmas dinner is at the mother-in-law's house. And Boxing Day is at her brother's house. And it, and it was just like, God, that sounds really... Well, there's nothing in there for her. To Kate, I would be saying, Kate, get your magic wand out. 
wave it and design your own Christmas. I'm not saying that because you're going to get it. I'm saying that because you're already too far away from seeing what your Christmas by design would look like to actually know which bits you want. She wrote this really long email. I'm so sorry for waffling on, but it really annoys her that her brother doesn't have the same view of, I need to be there when my mum's there or... Um, but it's uh, she's got nothing in that plan that's for her. And I think the irony, Steph, is that actually, because I'm resonating with Kate right now, you know, even if we don't want to be a people pleaser, we can't not care. I think what's really interesting is when she says that she can't make her plans until her siblings do, what I actually hear is that she doesn't make her plans till her siblings do. So I would just say, you know, Kate, maybe it's not a can't, maybe it's a doesn't. And actually what does stop you? making your plans first and letting your siblings fall in you know and the reality is she probably knows that they will still make their own plans to do their own thing and mother-in-law or parents will be on their own but even then I think I have a kind of line in the book that I put which says do it or don't do it but don't resist and what I mean by that is she might find that on balance it still feels appropriate at this stage of life for mother-in-law to get a visit And that's okay. If that still feels on balance, the right thing to do, she can do it or she can not do it. And she can say to mother-in-law, hey, mother-in-law, what would you like from Christmas? Because I would love us to be able to kind of try and find a different way of doing things. Or she can resist. And it sounds to me just from the email that you've got that there's some resistance there. It's like, ah, I don't want to do this, but I'm stuck. That's where all the energy goes at Christmas. It goes in resisting other people's demands. With my family, I'll know what's happening, but I won't necessarily know what's happening with Doug's family. And then he's really bad at telling me. So I've kind of bypassed him, but I don't want to do the organising. I'm not buying presents on his behalf. I don't do that, all that stuff. But I just contacted his sister to say, what are you guys doing with these dates work for you? So if I take control of it and they're not, no one's doing anything to annoy anyone, but it will just happen. And then I'll be like, oh, that wasn't the date that I wanted it to happen. And it felt quite nice, actually. <laughs> it's so interesting you say that, Steph, because I, I have done that role. I've actually gone for a different role over the last few years, which is if no one else is committing, then I'm going to crack on and make my plans. And when they do suggest a date, I'll check and say if I can do it or not. So my goal isn't that everybody gets a piece of the pie. It's that anyone who wants to step up to the table and and join in the negotiations, I will, I'll have that conversation with. But if they want to leave it till it's later, the answer might be no. But that's a kind of edge of a resistor in me there, isn't it? It is, it is really difficult. And I think the other thing that's going on for people is that where as a where like our first Christmases would have been spent at the grandparents going around the grandparents and stuff and then actually it's changing where grandparents can't host Christmas or they're not likely to host Christmas so much now and it falls to the next generation to do the hosting and that just it's a change isn't it that so there's new traditions and new plans and that's probably going on for lots of people but we don't all live down the road from each other anymore and we can't nip in and you know have a cup of tea on Christmas day and a piece of Christmas cake we can't do that so it ends up being this you know, mammoth road trip where we're chucking the kids and the presents in the car and driving, you know, from Premier Inn to Premier Inn, trying to see everybody within this arbitrary three-day window. And it's meant to be a holiday as well. Like it's also for most of us, it's a week or two off work where, so you actually don't want to be traipsing about. I mean, I, I get really stressed out by the time I'm trying to put things in place so that I don't feel as stressed, but most of it is to have some time just at home even though we have done a lot of that in the last 18 months. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, to finish up, back to people-pleasing um, and your kind of your four types of people-pleaser. What sort of people-pleasers do you think the following are? Boris Johnson. Oh, these are great questions. I mean, would I call him a people-pleaser? I mean, I'm going to say that he's a pacifier because what I see go on there is a kind of a slightly not wanting to upset anybody but perhaps not saying it as it is or calling calling the shots that need to be called okay father christmas (laughs) father christmas yeah i mean he's a classic isn't he but i'm actually going to go he's a shadow so i'm going to say that he's the shadow because he doesn't get any of his own needs met and he's just out there making sure everyone else is okay harry styles harry styles oh interesting um I'm going to go Harry Styles as a resistor because I feel like in the early days he came across as a classic and then, you know, later on we've kind of seen a bit more of his rebellious side. So I think there's a bit of a resistor in there. He is all over my Instagram feed. So I've obviously watched too many Harry Styles videos because, you know, when they start showing you things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) And Kim Kardashian. These are such great, great examples. Kim Kardashian, because of... Her family setup. I think, however she appears, I think on Instagram she comes across as as one way, which would be that she's the kind of a classic pleaser and she can she can get everything right. But I think just by the nature of what we know about her family, she's probably in there as a bit of a pacifier. I think deep down she's probably trying to just keep the show on the road. Mm. Well, there you go. And the book is available in Don't Buy Her Flowers packages from the ninth. December and actually you put together a selection of what you choose to accompany your book so we'll be sharing that on socials but you had the package you wanted people to feel was the the vibe was you are important which I loved yeah it was brilliant because when we were talking about the package I found myself started to be a pleaser and I was like "Mm, but you know what's going to appeal to the most people I was like no Emma stop Steph's just said so say what you would put in there I was like okay good okay now I need to communicate that (laughs) Well, there was chocolate buttons, champagne, pillow spray, and it is really good. Salt and vinegar crisps, because your guilty pleasure is salt and vinegar crisps in a hot bath. Yeah, did it on my wedding night. Went back to the hotel, got in the bath and had salt and vinegar crisps. It's great. 
recommend it. That's so specific. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to try it. And cashmere socks, which, yeah, they are a bit of an ultimate luxury, aren't they? They are. But the reason I really wanted them in there was because of the the kind of the sensory side to it. And I think one of the things we can do just as a kind of a final a final thought, one of the things we can really do to get out of our heads is get into our senses. We do know that. But evidence shows that actually we develop the parts of our brain we need that bring us away from anxiety and people-pleasing thoughts if we activate our senses more and over time we can even grow those areas so listen to the music you want to listen to wear the things that feel comfortable and the colors that you love eat and drink the things that give you joy these are really good practical ways of actually developing your relationship with yourself and your senses to come away from others and into you I love that Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. Like I say, we've been quoting bits of the book and then going, oh, hang on a minute, all week where someone, if someone's done something, we're trying to figure out why they're doing it. Um, And if you've got anything you want to say or a dilemma I can um, talk through with a future guest, drop us a line on podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. But thank you so much, Emma. Thank you, Steph. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. (laughs) 